close friends here? Yeah, I'm, uh, yes, he told me you were waiting on me, so I'm sorry about that. I'm Howard. You didn't bring him any water? Where's this water? I don't really need water. Thank you anyway. This is our own spring water. We're the first on the block to have that. Your parents happy for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, I gotta tell you, I'm in a bit of a rush. I'm not much time because I gotta, I gotta get. What did I tell you? I said no water. Didn't I tell you no water? Uh, I think it's in your best interest that you find some time for you and I. Let me get you in a second. All right, we're on the same page. Glasses, glasses. Oh, yeah, 100% fine. back uncut gems edition we are some glittery boys evan northrop jack martin and i uh we are your hosts of running back uh we just did this as the end last week and this week we are bringing to you benny and josh Safdie's 2019 masterpiece starring adam sandler the weekend kevin garnett julia fox eric bagnozian uh, it's uncut gems it is jack martin's favorite movie of all time so right off the top we are going to give him 120 seconds on why Uncut Gems is his definitive favorite movie of all time. I'm so sad. I'm so <laughs> fucked up. Oh, God. Adam Sandler's a powerhouse in this movie. He got snubbed. <laughs> they snubbed him so hard for that Oscar. Every, he's so electrifying in that movie. It's one of the best performances of all time. You cannot convince me otherwise. And the movie has everything else I ever could have wanted. It's the best NBA movie ever made. Kevin Garnett is a force in this movie. I think all the different NBA players that were attached to it at a certain point, Kobe, Amari Stoudemire, Joel Embiid, this movie becomes completely different without Kevin Garnett. And the fact that that all just worked out is a black opal in itself. It's incredible. It's a truly a gem of a movie. Um, Plus, it's just the way that the Safties kind of just used all the other movies to create this one. Everything is down perfectly from the camera work to the music, just to figuring out the perfect level of I'm going to shit myself in the movie theater feeling that they're able to give. Um, plus, you also have an appearance from The weekend in a scene that's so fitting to the timeline of him. Keith Stanfield's in it, Adina Manzel, Julia Fox's butt cheeks are awesome. Um, it's a great movie, plus all the little side characters. I just listened to that one podcast, the Chapo Trap House episode that Hado sent with the Safdie brothers, and they talk about the two twins and the set of weird brothers, too. Like, it's awesome. Everything about this movie is just perfect, and it's lived up to my expectations more than I ever could have imagined, and it's fully cemented itself as my favorite movie, and I'm not sure that anything will ever overtake it. Evan, what were your thoughts on this movie? Just generally. I loved this movie. I think I saw it maybe a month, two months after release, and I had been living with Martin, so, I mean, that's two months of hearing this is my favorite movie, so he had probably seen it like five times by the time I saw it for the first time, so I had super high expectations, and it met all of them. I loved it. I hadn't seen Punch Drunk Love at that point, so this was really my first serious Sandler movie. And I thought he exceeded expectations. Um, it's a movie I've watched multiple times since. And it, I don't think this movie has the ability to get old. It's just the type of movie that every single time I enjoy it as much as the first time I watched it. 
this movie is perhaps the best trailer to movie experience for me. When we saw that trailer initially, we were so fucking excited because it was Sandler in a leather jacket talking to all these Jews. And I like essentially like it looked like a trading floor first to me. I was like, what is going on with like all these old people? I'm just like, I don't even know what they're polishing on the inside of the rooms, but they're polishing something. And you just follow him. They have that great tracking shot. That's like the first shot we ever even see of him in the trailer. And then when you go into the movie, you have these absurdly high expectations because we'd already seen good time. Uh, so we were just like, what are these guys made of? Like, are all of their movies going to be that psychotic? And so I, I step in there. I'm expecting some basketball. I'm expecting some gambling, some Julia Fox. And they took all three of those things and they just shoved them right in my face. Said, here, this is how, this is as good as it gets right here, buddy. You're going to see Kevin Garnett, one of your 10 favorite players of all time, put up an Oscar-worthy performance. You're going to see Julia Fox in lingerie and Sexting Howie from a closet which is one of my favorite scenes. Well, I'm talking about that later. And then you're going to see just Sandler and what, I mean, Jack said it right. Like he's a fucking dog in this movie. He is a powerhouse. Like this is his statement film, but he has his goofy, goofy, like resume and he's the best at that. But the fact that he could take a turn into such a serious role and make me empathize with a guy like Howie, who is, I imagine if I met him in real life would be my least favorite person ever. I still love him throughout the entire film oh, yeah. because I have that previous relationship with Sandler and I think everybody does that want to go see this movie because they probably didn't see it because it was a Sappy Brothers movie. They probably saw it because it was an Adam Sandler movie. And they were shook to their fucking core because of what the Sappies did to them with Sandler. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's a powerhouse in the whole movie. It's like, it's just so dominant. It's even just like the widescreen. Like it's like my one word for this movie, we'll get to those soon after we do the letterbox and whatnot, but my one word was claustrophobic. Because even the screen itself, it's like it's tight. Like it's a, it's a tight wide screen. It's like almost like Christopher Nolan-ish. But Nolan doesn't make me feel claustrophobic. He makes me feel free and like I can jump off a fucking building. And this, I'm like cringing the entire time. And they just don't let you go with that cringe. I mean, the Safties did what no one's done before. They shot Adam Sandler in the face. <laughs> Facts. No one's done that. Adam Sandler always wins. This is how I win. He always wins. He always gets the girl at the end. He always accomplishes his dream. But in this one, he accomplishes his dream, gets the girl, and then gets shot in the face by Phil. Spoiler alert. Oh, I'm throwing out spoilers all episode. <laughs> if you haven't seen Uncut Gems at this point, then if why you haven't watched, think, Yeah. If you haven't what watched are you Uncut doing? Gems, go watch it. We were in a quarantine. You didn't have two hours and 20 minutes? All right, you ready? Sorry, I just had to take a little, little, little yes. part break there. The letterbox summary for this movie. Now, Uncut Gems is not just revered by its like main demographic, its audience, like us, 23-year-old, 22-year-old white men who, like, Jack and I have we like we have a podcast about the NBA. Okay, we fucking love the NBA. If you would have just told me this was just a Kevin Garnett movie, I would have seen this. But this is also revered by critics. So it's sitting at four stars average on Letterbox, so a flat 4.0, received 92% from Rotten Tomatoes and 91% from Metacritic. The summary of the movie is this is how I went. A now I have a problem with this word. This is the word that they use for him. A charismatic New York City jeweler jeweler always on the lookout for the next big score, makes a series of high-stakes bets 
that could lead to the windfall of a lifetime. Howard must perform a precarious high wire act balancing business, family, and encroaching adversaries on all sides in his relentless pursuit of the ultimate win. We're gonna talk about the parlay later because I think that's one of my favorite parlays ever. I think he was really smart about it on both of them actually. Great plays. If you give KG and Opal, I'm riding KG. I don't care if he's 36. But how do you guys feel about that balance? Because like I think that a lot of movies struggle with that, where they are critically revered by like some like kind of you know just your typical film bro or movie nerd. But it also appeals to, like the modern, just like wider audience. That's like I have Netflix. I just need something to watch. I guess I'll try out Uncut Gems because Sandler's in it. The balancing part is interesting because and i think they do such a good job of it because they don't leave one of them on their own to flesh out everything gets drawn in together the bet you know it brings in his girlfriend at the end it brings in kevin garnett it brings in his brother-in-law he owes also this money to him and we don't know that arno is howard's brother-in-law until the Passover scene, and that's revealed to us, and it shows just how deep into this Howard is. And then at the end, when he gets his money, he sends Julia to the casino, and Phil and all those guys go after her. Everything just gets brought in together. I mean, they show up to his daughter's play, too, and shake him down there. Like, everything is connected in a way. They don't allow Howard to go into the city, make these crazy bets, and then go home and just deal with his family on a separate level or wavelength. Like, everything ends up becoming one and it all culminates at the end i agree i think it's interesting too like you talk about it as a movie that's loved by you know people in our age group but also people a movie that's loved by critics because at the same time i think this is with every safety brother movie that i've seen at least but they're also you have a high ceiling for hatred there's a lot of people at the same time that will watch uncut gems or watch good times and hate mm-hmm. it. There is just that. So it just hits people in that certain type of way. I don't know if it's the anxiety. I don't know if it's going in thinking you're going to see Adam Sandler be Adam Sandler and he plays, you know, this dramatic role. It's just super intense. But that's kind of the way that those movies are for people. I think they're big boom or bust potential. Like you either just love this movie or you hate this movie. You hate every second of watching it. 100%. Um, which is understandable, even though I love it. But I could see why it would throw you off. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, because I've even had people in my own life who, with both movies, like I've, I recommended Good Time to Sarah's parents, and her mom reported back and said that they're never taking another Jack Martin recommendation. <laughs> and then they watched Uncut Gems and liked it, so I'm one for two. Um, I remember Haley said, she's like, I didn't like the movie. It was like, and my mom was also, my mom actually liked it more than I thought she would. My parents liked it more than I thought. And I think it was that anxiety feeling that they got. Like, it was, like, exciting. And I think with that movie, because it is such an intense, gripping feeling of anxiety, that it's either something where you sit in your seat and you're like, okay, like, I'm into this. Like, I'm freaking out a little bit and having a crisis, but I'm into this and I'm riding that out. Whereas for other people, I think it's just, like, too overwhelming. And that movie, just by the end, like, and even rewatching it, too, I find myself getting more uncomfortable on rewatches just because you start picking up on different sounds in the score and everything just kind of meshes together and you realize how overlapped everything is from the dialogue to background noises to the score. And it's just like such a mind fuck at times. 
And so it makes like it makes sense why like it's such a polarizing movie. Like and I think like the audience score on Rot- Rotten Tomatoes probably isn't very high and I know like they do like the cinema score exit polls and there was like an average C minus from the audience. I mean, when it comes down to it, if, like, you show this to your friend and they appreciate you more as a friend because you showed them this movie, then that's exactly what this movie's supposed to achieve. I think it's supposed to bring in, like, the casual viewer into, like, a lens of, like, okay, this is what movies can be, though. Like, not every movie has to have the happiest ending or has to follow a specific set of boundaries. This movie doesn't give a shit about any of those. It'll follow Lucky Stanfield around to Philadelphia to go to, like, a practice with, like, while the Celtics are warming up play the Sixers and you know <laughs> Howard's gonna steal a ball from like I don't even know who that guy was he's like a trainer or something like that and he says cookies <laughs> I'm like that kind of stuff is just it's just goofy it means a lot to the Safties so it meant a lot to us because we watched it and they had written it um so what was you guys' initial rea- interact interaction I know that Jack went and saw it on Christmas day and then did you see it the next day I went and saw it the next day yeah I was so excited to see it I want to see a Christmas Eve, but I couldn't get my parents to budge. And then Christmas Day, I was like, we got to go see this tonight. Like, we have to see Uncut Gems tonight. I need to see it on, like, its technical Christmas release. We did. And I'd already started, like, playing with my friends because they wanted to see it the next day. And it just so happened to work out that I saw it twice in, like, a 16-hour span. And then I went and saw it, like, a few weeks later. So I was just, I had to go see it. And then So, yeah, my first interaction was in theater. Evan, you, haven't, you didn't see it until, like, February or something like that? Yeah, I don't know when I saw it exactly, but I just, yeah, watched it on TV um, in the basement of the duplex. And, I yeah, there was just a lot riding on it. Um, I ended up really loving it. I don't know why I waited so long. I'm not the biggest Sandler person. I have nothing against it, but I kind of missed that with people in our generation growing up on Sandler movies. It just wasn't, like, the thing in my household. So I think I had less expectations for it that way because I didn't really know... Like, it wasn't going to disappoint me if he wasn't funny. Like, I think some people our age were like, oh, Sandler's going to be funny. So, in that way, I had less expectations, but it really turned out Yeah, your, your house was like a I Love Lucy and Dick Van Dyke show house. Not a happy go more big daddy. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't yeah, think Sandler is really fucking funny in this. Like, he is so funny. Like, that delivery of when... Uh, the guys are locked in like that little chamber and they said, are you having fun? And he goes, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's the peak of comedy. Like you just so good at like the little, little things that make you just like inter- even if you don't laugh out loud, you internally are giggling. Um, all right. So let's go to our one word or phrase to describe this film. I have claustrophobic. I imagine Martian has goat. I like goat. I was gonna have it be like you're on a roller coaster. It's kind of like ah, like that. That's my word. Ah, uh, okay. What about you, Northrop? Yeah, I have fool's gold, and I'm gonna take this moment to do my one little rant that I have about this movie. Um, it's a good rant, but I I'm so impressed by the colors in this movie, and I think that it is so purposeful because I think there's three sets of colors that line up in this movie. There's the New York. They do some skyline shots where it's just glittery gold. They do the casino at the end, which is a lot of greens and blues and that kind of primary colors. And then we have the opal itself, which has these bright glittery colors. And I think that that is, to me, watching it is all symbolic of like betting and addiction and this this money, this ability to make money. 
And um, I think one of the coolest things is the scene after he goes to the auction, he comes back and he's holding the opal in his hand. It's the first shot where those colors aren't in the opal. It looks really dull when he's holding it. And it's kind of like this moment where his big bet on this opal that he thought would be worth a million dollars or whatever kind of crashes and burns. And I think they really do a cool way of symbolizing that with the, the opal having lost its color. And then the next time you see KG holding it, it's got all those colors in it again. So I think this is a big movie about addiction, about you know the big boomer bust. Like you move to New York because you want to make money. You go to the casino because you want to make money. You know he buys this opal because I want to make money. KG has the opal because he thinks it'll make him you know turn up in the game. And I just think that they do such a cool way of subtly sort of flipping that back and forth by using the colors in this movie. And then when they finally use red, which the color of red is barely in this movie, is obviously at the end when they finally, you know, pan into the shot of Howie's brain linking onto the floor. Um, so that's, that's my one big monologue about this movie, but it's something that I really love. And um, I think it's really masterfully directed and done. Yeah, no, the way. opal, like in any other movie, would be used as like the MacGuffin. But for this, they use it as like, it's the center of the plot. Like it drives the movie forward, not just gets the movie to where it needs to be. Like it takes the movie and just heightens it. Mm-hmm. So for our all NBA or all film first team, um, if you haven't listened to this podcast before, the concept for this category is pretty much similar to the all NBA teams at the end of the year. So they have five spots on the first team. Uh, it's two guards, two forwards, and, two, and a center. Uh, our guards. I'm just going to propose it right now. It's Howie, and I'm going to go in a little bit different direction for my second guard, but I would go with the setting. So New York City itself, um, the Diamond District, but also 2012, um, just where the culture was back then. Like, we wouldn't get, like, swimming pools drank at one point in this movie. We wouldn't get Amen or um, Type Away by Rich Homie Kwan. Like, we wouldn't get these movies if it wasn't set in 2012. And then, Jack, I know you love the iPhone that Howie's walking around with. What is it, like an iPhone 4, iPhone 5C? Mm-hmm. something like that yeah they just keep up they just like keep in track and you can tell they got authentic phones because like a sim like a regular sim card doesn't work on it and the texts are sending green so you can tell they just got these old ass phones that are communicating with each other in a way and it's just like such an attention to detail and even like the camera that the pictures of the weekend are taken on like it's an old digital camera and it just fits with the time and like you, I have to completely agree that setting needs to be where it goes because if you go back and listen to the interviews of the Safties and they're talking about trying to fit the different stars who were in, like with Kobe, there was going to have to be, we have to craft this around a game where he went off in the garden. With Amari, it had to be around that MVP-like stretch he had before the Carmelo trade. With Joel Embiid, I don't know what they would use yet, but having Kevin Garnett, and they've said where they have that series where he has a great game, followed by a bad game, followed by a great comeback game. Everything just worked out perfectly. And and they even said the setting, too, where they could place it in New York City and have the series take place in Philadelphia because it's close enough to commute to. It just all worked out perfectly. And if you know there was any other change to it, if there was a different change to the NBA player, the setting of New York City and being able to expand beyond that with the different characters wouldn't work at all yeah i mean like the fact that what was i just gonna say i'm sorry i forgot <laughs> i tweaked um i'm blanking i'm blanking too hard no i'm with you completely on howie that was my that was my one guard but the setting is up there too i even think that some of the like diamond district characters kind of just become a part of the setting 
one of my favorite moments is when he goes back to get the Celtics ring at the end of the movie and this Diamond District jeweler who kind of seems like this irrelevant person who doesn't really give a fuck about Howie or his well-being sort of asks him, are you okay? Like, what's up when he's trading in the Knicks ring? You okay, um, Bubby? And I think that's just, yeah, it's just like a really cool thing the Safdie brothers do with using sort of regular people, but all these people become part of the setting. They're the backdrop to Howie's story. Um, I completely It just agree. adds to the authenticity of their movies because... This one obviously has more of a bigger budget feel, but you go and you watch, like, heaven knows what. They've obviously made a documentary with Lenny Cook, but you watch something like heaven knows what. The camera work almost feels like a documentary. Like, they really place you right there, and the way they utilize, like, the overlap background noise. Like, they place you right in that diamond shop, and you're just, like, looking at Howard fuck up constantly. And just having those small characters who are real genuine people... Like he like they did in Good Time too, it just adds so much to that layer of authenticity that every interaction that he has just feels real. My favorite part about the authenticity is the fact that like they don't like go to the game and shoot the game and like put in fake Sixers players. They just show the TNT broadcast. And there's even a part where Howie comes down after he had just put a, his younger son to bed and he says, "We flip the game to ESPN real quick." That little little thing bothered me the first time I saw it. I'm like, obviously he should know that it's on TNT. So why didn't he say TNT? He said ESPN. But then I realized while I was watching it today, I was like, hmm, maybe Howie's just a fucking idiot sometimes. And he just makes his those two He's things. a dad. <laughs> he is a dad. But he's also a fucking, like, when um, Adina says to him, what's a, what's Adina's name in this movie? Adina Menzel's character's name. I'm blanking right now. Oh, I'm also pulling. I should know this off the top of my head. But yeah, I'm, like, really confused. Um, but anyways, what she says is actually is like, isn't it Dina? Yeah, I think, I think it might be. I'm not sure. Let me check. Um, anyways, what she says to him is you are the most annoying fucking person. And I'm like, that's when it hit me initially. I'm like, wow, he really is the most annoying person like I've ever seen on screen. Like he's really intolerable to the people around him. Like how he treats Yossi. Yossi's the only man he has to protect them. And he just throws a Gucci shirt at him while he's cutting a fish open for an opal. Like that shit is Holy just. Holy shit, I'm going to come. <laughs> like he says that to him as Yossi's like you're running a horrible business like I just got beat up and you're not doing anything about it and he just Howard has the balls to stare up at him and go holy shit I'm gonna come <laughs> like if my boss said that to me I'd, be, I'd also be like alright fuck you dude I'm gone like that's a horribly inappropriate workplace response it really is and you know he doesn't have an HR department Okay, for our, everyone gets mad at him. For our forwards, for our forwards, we got to track there for a second. Um, I've got the proposition of Damani and Julia. If you guys want to put Dean in there instead, or Arno, or the weekend, even it's up to you guys. Or KG is KG a forward? Hi, Julian Damani. Okay. Right with you. And then I think it's fair to say that we have KG as our big. He's our center. He's the one, like, when he comes yes. in, mm-hmm. he's finishing lobs. He should have been a center for most of his career, but at that point, the league was just too, like, they were just too focused on positions. Like, you're a power forward because you're too skinny. Should have played center. He would have one of the best centers ever, mm-hmm. not just one of the best power forwards. Anyways, but, yeah, he comes in, and he really just takes over the game. Like, he's going to get you those six blocks. He's going to get you, what is the exact line? He gets, like, 24 and 17 or something like that. He goes out in hoops when he's the 26 over. Um, our, our most valuable scene. So if you took a scene away from this movie, which one would bring it down from like a 62 win season to a 35 win season? Now, 
my i mean this one is like i don't know if it really is the most valuable scene but for me personally it is it's the club scene so from the moment that howie walks in to the club and that's when they're playing amen by meek mill and then to him getting kicked out uh for starting a fight with a weekend um and then that's when swimming pools is playing and then it ends with howard and julia's like kind of like walk and talk and fucking scream essentially like when he gets into the cab, drives off. And then she walks back and she's talking shit to you. I'll end it there when she's talking shit because I love when she's talking shit to those girls that are standing outside. Could I go with like the introduction? Not the mining scene. You can go with anyone but, you want, yeah. All right. So I just think that those opening 15, 20 minutes are so vital because it shows you the Ethiopian mine where they find the opal and then they obviously transition through Howard's asshole and then they show him walking down the street and it just drops you into him on the phone like yeah I'm gonna be there like hold on and then he's just coming he shows up Phil's waiting there for him and then you know Amani brought somebody in to look at the stuff and Howard's like yeah yeah and then Phil wants to talk to him, offers him water, gets slapped in the face, and so that kind of just shows that Howard doesn't listen. I'm good on the water. I don't need any water. I said I'm fine. And then he kind of he they just or they start heckling. Him. He just gives the watch away. It already just drops in that tension. Then he leaves on the phone, gets the money, goes and places a bet after it's already been established that he owes Arno money. Goes back because KG's there. Gets the opal. Phil and his guys have fucking beat everybody up. And then he just can't. He gets this most valuable item that he's ever had. He thinks he's going to make a living off of it. And he just gives it away because he wants to be such a people pleaser. He just wants KG to like him so bad that he's like, okay, here's like the most valuable item I've ever received. In exchange for his championship ring. Which he has absolutely no value before. Just gets rid of it right away. So we can place a bet and just try to keep winning. And obviously for the rest of the movie, it's Howard making terrible decisions that just lead to his imminent death. But those, having those go back to back to back of just scenes of Howard getting what he needs to get out of his trouble and then immediately just giving it away because he either wants to be a people pleaser or he just is chasing that win and that gambling addiction is just pushing him further and further into like this deranged state of like, I can keep winning. I just need to keep putting everything on the line and I think without those scenes happening in that rapid succession I think if you split them up it would kind of take it away but to just have him just instantly start fucking up and instantly bring in that anxiety I think it just sets the pace for the rest of the two hours that just unfold I'm gonna go with the third one I love both those those choices but for me it's Howie's death scene I think it's one of the best I love just how it works as a death scene. Um, I think it like the way it's just kind of grounded in reality. There's no theatricality to it. It just happens. And it also just sealed the deal for this movie overall because it proved that they weren't afraid to do whatever they wanted. Like if this was a Hollywood movie, I mean it is, but um, if they had lost any control over this movie, you can be sure that they would have saved Adam Sandler. He would have made the money and, you know, paid back everybody and would have been happy. So him dying proves it to be like a real like auteur, just amazing. They have complete control. 
Um, and I love that part of it. It just kind of defies everything that usually happens um, in a Hollywood movie. And it, was, it just made this movie great to me. Yeah, I think that's generally what people attribute the most to this movie. It's the fact that it isn't your typical Hollywood movie. Um, it's just like... When I talk about the most valuable scene, it's like... I don't really think there is one that sticks out in particular just because the whole movie feels like it happened so fast, even though it is a two-hour movie. So to depict one scene and kind of grab at that and be like, okay, this is like what really excels the movie forward because the whole, like right from the jump, like Jack says, I think he's probably right because the, that the first you're cheating by the way, Jack. The first fifteen fucking minutes, that's not a scene. That's like the whole. I said the introduction. That's why I asked if I could do the introduction. Okay, you're right. I know, but still, but still, okay. You're totally right. It this movie like, breaks the rules, bro. I'm gonna break the rules. It's this like is how I went. The way it starts, it's like the treadmill is already going like eight miles an hour, and you're supposed to just start, you know, get on, start running, that kind of deal. And you just got to the fucking gym, like you're like, Jesus, dude, I don't know if I'm ready for this. But the only treadmill that's open right now is already going eight miles an hour, and so you get on, and right when you get on, they're like, okay, we're up to ten, and you're like, holy shit, I thought I signed up for eight, and then it just goes to fucking forty by the end. And you fall face first on that treadmill and get black eye. That actually happened to me when I was way younger. True story. Um, me too. Most underrated and overrated performances. So underrated, I mean, I didn't know who the composer was until I looked up his name. It's Daniel Lopatin. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's L-O-P-A-T-I-N. This composition is so fucking crazy. It's so good. I, I tried studying to it. I, my uh, study playlist was a collection of essentially just movie scores. Like I had the social network on there. My favorite ones are Little Women and Phantom Thread. And I tried having Uncut Gems on, and there's one just called Blue Powerade. And every time Blue Powerade came on, I tweaked. I'm like, I can't study right now. Like, it would just send me out of the zone and into like, uh, I need to go put some picks down kind of mode. Uh, but what about you guys? What are your overrated and underrated performances? Real quick, my overrated, I didn't really have one. So I was just going to be like, you know what? Maybe we should get rid of this, but yeah. Overrated's tough just because it is my favorite movie. And aside from Sandler and I mean, KG's in it a lot, but he's not in it a ton. Not every character really gets that much screen time. And so I think it's hard to have somebody that's overrated because I feel like when there's an overrated performance, it's like a movie where there's like two headlining stars. There'll be like two actors and maybe one of them was overrated in their performance. But this movie is really just kind of Sandler and a bunch of supporting characters that create the world around him. But for underrated, I'm having, I, I should pull up his name to give him the due credit because I don't know his real name off the top of my head but the guy that played Phil I think that you love Phil I really I'm, Keith William Richards I mean they they literally found this dude at like a New Jersey train station when they were scouting for the movie he's never really acted before he just wanted to be an actor they drop him into this movie and they give him the villain role like he's the villain in this completely the villain in this movie like because then you come to find out that he's not really like arno's friend like this is a dude that arno hired like he doesn't have any connection towards either of them this is just a job for him and then he realizes that it could be a real big job if he kills both of them and just he i can imagine that the way he is in this movie is similar to what he's like in real life just pretty angry really intimidating 
and just kind of sweaty. Just like one of those dudes that you see that is like, has smoked way too many cigarettes. And if you look at him the wrong way, he's just like, hey, asshole. Like we see that in the movie. Like Howard, they gave him water that he was excited to give him because it's their, you know, it's their own spring water. And he just slaps him in the face. Like that dude just did such a good job of playing that like enforcer role. And obviously he didn't have that many lines, but when he did, it's like, fuck, like, I'm pretty scared right now. I'm like, I'd be scared. I'm scared for Howard. Like, this guy can do some damage. He definitely wears the cheapest cologne. Like, that's my first instinct. Oh, when I yeah. See that guy. I'm like, I'm like oh, he probably yeah. smells terrible. Um, all right, for top five quotes, or uh, my bad, my bad, Evan. Did you have an underrated, overrated? Oh, no, I said it's impossible to underrate any of these performances. I think they're all okay. incredible. And to Jack's point, that guy is so good, and he should be cast in that role in every movie. Just completely typecast. Mm -hmm. But I want to see him in every movie. He should be the Marvel villain. Dead asshole. Every single thing. He should have played Thanos. He would have been so much of a better Thanos than Josh. What, dude? Oh, that's that's cap. That's cap. All right. (laughs) No, he could be better than. Yeah. (laughs) What? Dude, honestly, doesn't even need to play Thanos. He just needs to play uh, Phil. (laughs) <laughs> he just needs to be like, where's my fucking money? And they're like, dude, we don't have your money. And he's like, Dan- well, where is it? <laughs> Thanos just has those two, like, alien, like, goons. And then that guy, he's like the third one. There's the two guys with powers and then just this dude. And that would have been a great movie. Jack, for top five quotes, I figured that you could just kind of um, do your Howard impersonation for what? How long can you go for? Like a minute? Two minutes? Probably 20? Dude, one time, it was over spring. I have a fucked up shoulder, so I was going to get it checked out. And my mom and Haley were with me. And we were in this waiting room waiting for the doctor to come in. And I found the Uncut Jump screenplay online. And started reading it, doing every Howard line. And I'm, like, a good few minutes into the intro. And the doctor walked in as I'm, like, like, we got the first on the block to have that. And just had to stop and be like, oh, sorry. But this movie's so good. Like, everything, like, every Howard's best lines don't even come when he's giving, like, a speech. Like, it's like the little side ones. Like, Yeah, you're totally right. No, my favorite one is soft touch. You see that? That's soft touch. He's talking about KG, like, putting up, like, a turnaround. I'm like, that is soft touch. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> it's so funny. See, I love the little line when he's like, why are you talking to that cokehead? When his kid is walking, <laughs> talks to the dude uh, in the apartment. He's trying to take a shit there. Like, why are you talking to that cokehead? I mean, I love his emotional breakdown. Where he's just like, I'm so sad. I'm so fucked up. <laughs> and then fucking Julia just shows him. He's like, oh, God, why would you do that? Like, when he, the way that he has his voice. And I, there is one point. It's when he first leaves the shop, and it's that shot of him walking away, calling Arno and getting voicemail where the camera's behind him. It's when he lays into the accent the most. And it's like, I think it must have been like a voiceover or redubbing, but he just like, I can't remember what he says. But the way he says Arno is just like so nasally. That's so beautiful. So nasally, so beautiful. That's my favorite kind of acting. But yeah, no, I, I think you you guys are both right. It's like the little asides that he just like kind of throws out there. And he's so good at that. Like we just talked about him. He's a comedic genius. Um, all right, like the goat and, section. Um, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, Hibidita, like he's such a bullshitter. Like when they're at the Passover seat, it's just the two of her the closet. And she's like, you're the most annoying person I've ever met. And he's like, 
Look, it's over. She's done. Come on. Give me another shot. <laughs> Didn't mean anything. Or just it meant nothing. This this is how I win. This is how I and of course I think Yossi over number here. one. <laughs> All I have is Yossi to protect. Uh I think number one has to be holy shit, I'm gonna come. I mean that one was just so fucking funny in the theater. <laughs> Jews and colon cancer, what's up with that? I thought we were the chosen people. <laughs> Alright, for the GOAT section um, I just wanted to ask you guys Is this the best performance by an athlete On a movie screen? Now I have a bunch of nominations And you tell me kind of where he falls Top Number one, top three, top five, top ten Alright, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar As Robert Murdoch in Airplane LeBron James in Trainwreck Michael Jordan in Space Jam Shaquille O'Neal in Blue Chips Ray Allen in He Got Game Carl Weathers as Apollo Creed Mike Tyson in The Hangover, Andre the Giant in The Princess Bride, Brett Favre in There's Something About Mary, Dan Marino in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Rock in Everything, John Cena in whatever the fuck John Cena is in, O.J. Simpson in Naked Gun, Mike Ditka in Kicking and Screaming, Wilt Chamberlain in Conan the Destroyer, Terry Bradshaw in Failure to Launch. Where's KG Fall in Uncut Gems? The top. Number one. Number one. All right, Evan has him affirmed at number one. Jack, you can't have him at number. You have to have him at number one. Yeah, he's number one. Okay. All right. Number OJ Simpson's number three. like number four. He's pretty good in Naked Gun. Mike Tyson. <laughs> Mike Tyson today over is really good. I really like Ditka and kicking and screaming. Ditka and kicking great and, and kicking it, dude. Kicking and screaming is such a fucking good movie. All right, did you guys have any other goat sections? I mean, maybe the like the goat diamond district movie. I think that's probably pretty easily firm. Um, goat basketball top, movie. Goat basketball movie. Goat might be the goat gambling movie to me. Yeah, I'd agree too. I mean, there's like probably like that older population that would say rounders, but um, yeah, probably uncut. I think mm-hmm. for our generation at the very yeah. least. Um, yeah, sports movie. Um, yeah, I guess athlete star movie. Uh, Adam Sandler. I guess that'll be the, their best ever section. We can just move on to that. So this is the TBE section. This is where we de- determine whether or not this was somebody's best ever thing that they ever did. So our nominations are we have Adam Sandler. Is this the best thing that he's ever done? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think that was pretty easy for you guys. Really? You guys are just going to give up? I mean, I guess Evan has no history with him, and Jack is just so deep into the Ratner thing. I'll at least support him. Or let me see which one. I don't even know which one is necessarily my favorite. The first one that's coming to mind right now is The Water Boy. So I'll put Howard Ratner right next to Bobby Boucher. I fucking love Bobby Boucher. Um, all right, look, Keith Stanfield, no, right? It's probably Atlanta. Knives out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Julia Fox, this or her Instagram? This one's pretty good because we're going to see a lot she's of got a, She's got an Instagram you can't open on public in, public transportation. Mm-mm. I opened up her up. story. I don't know. I was in public. I had to go, oh, wow, that, that's not safe for work. It's not safe for the high V self-checkout line. Uh, if the weekend would have pulled her out during the Super Bowl halftime show, mothers across the nation would have thrown a fucking fit. They'd be like, she is way too Dad, thick to be on that stage. The dads wouldn't. I know that's what it dads would be psyched girlfriends would hate um, um i think it's right, so a lot we'll, of the best ever's 
I mean, the best safties, best use of a weekend song or performance yeah. in cinematic form. Correct. I was going to ask you if this is the best thing that the weekend has ever done, or we guys gravitate towards House of Balloons first. Yeah, House of Balloons for sure, just because he's not in it enough. Take, um, take trilogy. Okay, Adina Menzel. So I don't, I don't have a history with Adina Menzel. Evan, did your parents ever listen to her? No, I don't think okay. so. I didn't even know she was a singer until you just said that. Yeah, she was honest. a singer first and foremost. So I, I, I texted yeah, my wicked. dad. And she's um she's in she's in oh, Frozen. She's yeah. I yeah, I just looked so I, I asked my dad, I'm like, wow. wait, like was she big back in the day? Like was she like who was she? Was she like Demi Lovato big or was she like Ariana Grande big? He's like, No, she wasn't near as big as either of them. I didn't know who she was until I saw Frozen. My dad loved No, nah, she was Broadway. Yeah. I she was like big on like she did, was on Wicked for years I'm pretty sure, on Broadway and then, Frozen and Let It Go obviously was a different kind of beast. That's a um, hitter. And I've never I've never seen Song yeah is a hit. I've never seen Frozen I've never seen Wicked so, based on what I've seen from Adina Menzel, it's the best of what I've seen her in. Dude, Wicked is fucking awesome. I love Wicked. Yeah, I've seen that shit twice. I saw Wicked in Chicago. Oh, that's fire. She probably wasn't in it. But <laughs> it was awesome. All right, could could Leo have done it better? No, no. Right. This is my one big no. I think I would answer yes to pretty much like every role I can think of, but couldn't even come close. Okay, to I got one for you guys. I'd like to see him in a different safety movie, obviously, or as Yussi. <laughs> I want him to be. <laughs> I want him to be Howard Bitch. I think that would be comedy. <laughs> He could be a good yes. He could, right? Okay. Um. Any would you rather's? What if you played Howard's son? <laughs> Wait, what? What if you played Howard's <laughs> son? Dunks. They just did that weird like CGA, like they did to Chris Evans in the first Captain America movie. <laughs> they just make him like really small and skinny, but he's still got a big head. I could watch. He's that. the one that dunks, or like the one that he puts to sleep. The uh, one okay. that dunks. Yeah, that one is fucking hilarious. That one definitely wears too much cologne um all right any good would you rathers hmm would you rather be stuck in that box with phil i think the other guy's name is nico and arno or would you have to stay through the whole time like, like julia did in the casino with the rich dude with the tan. You got to do the whole night. You got to stay over there at night with him too. What does that staying overnight entail? They probably just watched a movie and went to bed. They definitely <laughs> didn't know. She wasn't one of that. Happen. I mean, you obviously, okay. I mean, obviously, you decide what you would like to do with yourself, but you. But there's probably only one bed. Sleeping next to him. There's one bed in the room. Yeah. And he's just going to keep telling room, you how though. hot It's a penthouse. It's a penthouse. Yeah, I could use a confidence boost. I feel like that dude doesn't wear enough. <laughs> I I could use the confidence boost. I'll spend my time with the penthouse. Because if Ralph, I'm did you listen same... to that? Oh, my bad. I was going to say, did you listen to that one Chapo Trap House podcast with the Safety Brothers? I haven't yet, no. They talk about that guy and the scene where they're filming it with him and how, you know how he's in his towel and he's like brushing his hair? In the script, he was supposed to be naked. But the guy was like, can I wear my towel? He's like, I'm not opposed to being naked, but nobody looks better than me in a towel. 
Okay. He sounds like he's just like a. Is he just like the kind of same character as Phil? Like they just grab that guy off the street and he's like, he's probably he's actually a, a real rich dude. Okay. You've got to listen to the story about this guy because like the way that he talks, it sounds so funny. Like he's just being him in the movie. He's like, I'm so rich. I just bought the. I my wife has the 70 bedroom house in Vermont. I've never stepped foot in. I don't even want to see it. <laughs> like he's just one of those guys. Okay. All right. Any spinoff ideas? I think the adventures of Julia walking around with a million dollars or however much she won on that bet, that could be cool. Or really sad. They probably make it really sad. But maybe she like gets like an Instagram advertisement like badge or something like that, wherever the fuck those girls get. Um, I'm liking Howard's son just grows up and pretty much Jonah Hill steps off the set of War Dogs and then just becomes um, Howard's son grown up and he just goes through the exact same shit essentially and this time it's he's betting on like the guy that's like you know the KG essentially the movie is Alvin Kamara hmm. ah that'd be way too early let's go with um it's gonna have to be like it's gonna have to be like one of these high schoolers isn't it damn that fucking sucks I'm not gonna say which one it is like Alonzo Ball no he's way too old or Lamelo. they're way too old it's gonna have to be like a 12 year old because that kid's what, like 15 or 16? I did have... Making 50 bucks. That's a good point. I did have a second spinoff, which I think could actually be a really cool show, would be Lakeith Stanfield's Industry, which could be a really cool show if they had a famous person in every episode that he's kind of, like, moving into their posse and selling them jewelry and bringing them into the store and just his adventures as he's meeting these people and they take them to clubs and he says, that, like that, that could be cool. I would watch. Or just that. a weekend movie, except anybody other than Rami Malek gets to play the weekend. <laughs> My spinoff idea is called Yussie's World, and it's a 15-minute Snapchat show. It's like a variety show. I don't know what he does in it really. He kind of just like tries to like sell you jewelry, but he actually is like not big on Instagram, but he's got like a decent amount of followers, and he had a beef with six nine. Yussi was, was calling out 6ix9ine on Snapchat like, you didn't pay me for this chain. Like, it was Yussi. It was Yussi versus 6ix9ine. Oh, my God. Wow. So, stuff like that. It's just Yussi calling. It's a 15-minute Snapchat show where Yussi calls out rappers who haven't paid him yet. That's sick. That sounds like an awesome, awesome. show. Yussi would be on smoke. And, you know, like, in between, like, those 15 minutes, like, he'd take one and he would just go head to toe with his fit. Like, this is what I'm wearing today. This is what you're not wearing today. Yassi, Yassi needed him a little bit more PT. He didn't get enough screen time in this. Yeah. I guess he bails. Oh. And we only see him once after he bails. But. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have another one. I don't have the title for it, but it's a multi-camera sitcom with the two brothers that just keep heckling Howard on the street. Yeah, we haven't even talked about them yet. They're, oh, they might man. be the best part of the Those movie. Them great. and um, the guy who delivers... Uh, the fish with just the crazy nose. Do you know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about? He's like the very, he's like almost like the first, like kind of like sidekick that we see. That's how I think of all these characters. I don't think of them as like supporting characters or like extra. I think of them as sidekicks to the movie because like every one of them plays their role so well, not just like with how they like contribute to the film as actors, but just the way they look. They just kind of have like that New York look. Like those two twins, I, I feel like I've seen, like if I had lived in New York, I would see those probably every day. 
because those two oh, twins, yeah. <laughs> one of them, one of them is supposed to be the tough guy. That's my favorite part. He's like, "What? Well, you brought your bodyguard with you?" And it's just his brother, and he looks the exact same. <laughs> but yeah, definitely a multi-cam uh, sitcom for them. <laughs> those two guys remind me of the people that show up to James Franco's house in uh, Pineapple Express, and they ask him for pills. He gets so mad. He tells him to go away. I don't know if you know yeah. what talking about. That's like those yeah, yeah. two guys. He's pissed. Um, all right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. This has been Running Back on Cut Gems Edition. Wow. What I mean, what a movie. It was a pleasure to rewatch it. I had so much fun rewatching it. Uh, my mom hadn't seen it, and she only caught like about 20 minutes. So I felt really bad, but she said she's going to rewatch it tonight, actually. So, Hell yeah. Yeah. You know, it appeals to all ages. Show it, show it to awesome. your six year old children. Like, they deserve to know what the real world is. Am I right? A hundred percent. That's the ideal viewer. All right, Evan Northrop, Jack Martin, thank you guys for joining me. This has been another episode of Run It Back, presented to you by Burbs Entertainment. Uh, make sure to tune in next week. What? Let the people know what we're doing. Yeah, next what week. movie do we have next week? What are we doing? Is it Lady Bird? Oh, is it Lady Bird? It's Lady Bird. Do I get to rewatch Lady Bird this mm-hmm. week? I get to rewatch Lady Bird this hey, week. Out. Let's go. All right, peace out, y'all. Thank you for listening. I just got so hyped.